Welcome to C3 Church Tabra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Bill Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. Anointed to be God's servants is the message this morning. You can take a seat. God bless you. Really feel like we're on the precipice. This is your family, Ollie, is it, along here? Praise God. Fantastic. And uh, they're country folk, and um, I hope they're enjoying. I hope they're enjoying the coast. And, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I saw any horses tied up out there, but... And, uh, but uh, yeah, well, I guess we're a little bit rural too. The Central Coast people, they're laid back in the city. Certainly not like the city folk. Uh, they're in the fast lane and and uh, it's really hard to get spiritual down in Sydney, actually. I think it's easy to get spiritual out in the country. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah. And um, really hard to get spiritual when things are going so well too, when you live in such a lovely country. The sun, the beach. Oh man, I was just enjoying those early morning splashes in the ocean. And I just love to stand in the early morning waves and pray. It's just so good because no one's there and you can pray. And um, speak in tongues even and just check out in God. And, and I just love the refreshing, the refreshment of that, that cold water and the, just that whole groove of being in the water it just feels so who's a little bit like that who doesn't like cold water put up your hand if you don't like cold water this caravan park by the way does not have hot water so i can't all hot showers it's just just uh it's my sort of park and um god is so good he's so faithful can i just say prophetically i believe we're on the precipice of god really doing something significant in australia the, the unfortunate murder in Melbourne, um, uh, they're saying now that they're going to do a march today. Uh, you know, the Bible says, and there really is a sympathy going out there. People, there's a lot of, I think it was because of the innocence of the girl and uh, she was pretty. Um, it was such an injustice. Aussies, you know, they really bandy to that. They really feel that. And uh, they're going to do a march today. I mean, it's really brought people out of their comfort zone and out of their selfishness even and say, it, this is an injustice. This, this is, and they want to hang the guy now. And, uh, you know, and um, why is that? The Bible says in Corinthians, first the natural, then the spiritual. There's something that's going to move the heart of the Aussies to God. It's got to happen. There's something's going to move the heart of the Aussies to God. And I don't know what it is. It's got to be a revival. It's got to be prayer. It's got to be a church on fire and a God moving. But at the end of the day, something visible, tangible, is going to move the hearts of the Aussies. It happens anyway, like when the house burns down in the neighborhood, the Aussies really come out and they will 
you know, they will contribute, they will serve, they will be there for their neighbor. Is that right? We're, we're a bit like that. But with God, we're not quite, I believe, we're not quite pushing towards Him and wanting to serve Him or His church and uh, see all the best that can happen through His plans and purposes, which is the gospel and the ministry, the church, you know, and we're not quite seeing people step up to that and serve the church. To be honest, church is not sitting on your rusty dusty and receiving a great word. Church is really about a place where we combine our efforts and uh, collectively combine whether big or small efforts, uh, whether, you know, whatever, we pull it all together and we express the love of God and the goodness of God. And in that, Aussies go, and people say, including Americans, they go, um, they go, now I can see, I can tangibly see what you people are on about. Aussies are not moved by theology. They're not moved by religion. I believe they're not moved by, you know, the goody two-shoes-ness of life. They're moved by a tangible, real expression of Jesus through your life. And when they feel that and see it and it's real, man, it's powerful. And uh, that's probably what I want to speak about this morning. Is that cool? So um, the message is called Anointed to be God's Servants, Lessons from the Life of the Apostle Paul, but especially Jesus revealed to us that at the end of the day, it's about serving God, wanting, and Cameron, you did such a great message with the uh, the giving message, because at the end of the day, it is a privilege to give and to serve. Um, and if we knew that, that this is building God's house and, and becoming God's house in terms of you as members and wherever you go to church, it really is something that really blesses God's heart. And if you were to understand that, that even standing at the door like Steve was this morning, because our, our ushers are away this morning. They're on holidays too. Tim and uh, Colin McGrath. Who loves those guys? Awesome. 14 years. Carried Phil Pringle's bags. Picked him up from the airport. Armour bearer. Just a mighty man. This is, I'm talking about one of God's generals, one of Australia's God generals, Phil Pringle. But Tim McGrath now partly retired. And, um, but he knows what it is to serve God because he loves God. And, uh, but he loves the whole principle of and the whole premise of what church should be and can be Uh, church is a powerful thing and uh, ultimately the church should be praying and and should be should be worshiping uh, but then should be preaching the gospel but then overall the church should be loving and God wants to use your hands your feet your voice your love and he wants you to be empowered with him to reach out to your friends and neighbors, my friends and yours. And if that happens, that's a huge day for the church. Um, So a couple of statements. We need to be anointed to be God's servants. How does God bless us to serve? We're in a series. It's about change. When When you get saved, 
one of the revolutionary things that happens to you is that you get turned inside out. Usually a lot what the world does to you, it indoctrinates you to be selfish. It's about me, myself and I. It's about my life, my security, my comfort, my stuff, my money, my time. That's why it's, I mean, to, 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 to get you to be turned inside out, it does take a revolution in your heart, but a renewal of your mind. Amen? And we've got we to hear God out on this, and we've got to let God do an inner work in our hearts to allow God to bring out Himself through us. It's God in us. When you get saved, God is in you. When you get saved, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. You, re- you receive. Wow. What happened? You just got saved. What, what do you mean? You got Christ in you now. Oh, he's in there? Yeah, he's in there. He's in your heart. Now he wants to rebuild you. Now he wants to flow through you. Hey, hang on. I'm not into that. Look, look I just want Jesus uh, as a little little token gesture here i just want jesus as a an insurance policy no he's in you now buddy he's in you and he wants to move through you he wants to flow through you he wants to shine through you you believe that jesus died for you and in place of you jesus is inside this is the whole gospel of course now jesus is in you now Jesus wants to flow through. That's the whole gospel right there. Leonard Bernstein, the American composer, conductor, concert pianist, he says, uh, he says this, and we're talking about serving, serving the church, serving others. He says, that, he quotes this, he says, the hardest instrument in the orchestra to play is second fiddle. But then when you go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we won't go there because um, it's a meaty chapter and it talks about you are a part of the body and every part is important even if you're a little finger I broke my little finger I was doing a play what was it a production at Lake Street Theatre I was bashing up Jesus so never bash up Jesus Never get tangled with Jesus. I end up like Jacob. I end up with a limp. And this, I don't know what happened, but I manhandled. I was supposed to manhandle Jesus and arrest him. I was dressed in a police uniform. It was a great production. It was about 70 people in this. And it was a huge, it was an album out through it. And I got sucked into it because Julie was one of the singers in, in, in it and ran for about a week. Somehow I was arresting Jesus. And I ended up with a, with a it, just, it just fell over the end of my finger. Oh, okay. It doesn't look great. Go to the hospital. So what happened to you? Oh, I was bashing up Jesus. I sure you. Yeah. He's drunk. He's drunk. He's been out on the town. First Corinthians chapter 12 reminds us that we are Christ's body and each part is important. No matter who and what part you play in the life of the church, in the life of the body of Christ. Say, say body. You are part of the body. And... and it doesn't matter, small or large, significant, important, insignificant, important, you are still part of the body and very valuable to that body. And if God's placed you here or placed you in your church, 
You are important. We've got to understand that. All of us equally important, dependent. And then we go to Scripture and history tells us in Scripture the example of how God gets His work done through leaders, ones that stand up with vision, a visionary leader say, and he has or she has a vision to do something consequential for God. And those ones, usually, God places around them companions. What's companions? Check this out. Companions translated in Greek means yoke fellow, meaning yoked. I don't know if the farm people would understand this, a yoke. Um, sorry guys <laughs> there's a yoke and they're yoked together with oxen they're pulling together and um, companions are <laughs> oh they've got tractors now they? <laughs> okay companions translated in Greek means yoke fellow people harnessed together complementing one another and pulling with a common purpose and goal pulling with a common purpose I know that God uses this principle to get his work done I'm going to prove it companionship is one of the strategic principles that God uses to get his work done I'm talking about the business end of the church here. I'm talking about how God gets his plans done. Is is that cool if I do that? How we collectively, as parts of the body, pull together and make this stuff happen. He desires and tends for believers to receive the companions he puts around them and at the same time serve as companions to others, like real men. Cameron here. He runs the real men ministry in this. He's hoping companions will get around him and, you know, help him, serve him, encourage him and counsel him. Jesus, in fact, had companions in his ministry. We know he had 12 uh, that he spent three years uh, with. And three of those were special ones that he actually called to those companions and said, hey, can you come and be with me on this occasion? Companions are ones that we need to be able to draw on. And Jesus did that. Jesus said to those three special ones, he said, hey guys, I need you to help me on this one. We all need companions. Katrina needs companions in the office. Is that right, Katrina? Throughout Christ's ministry, he was also an essential companion to his disciples. That's why in Matthew 28, 20, it says, when he left, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus was actually a companion to his disciples. And of course, in John 14, 16 to 18, it's important to note that the Father, that, that, that Jesus said, the Father will send you the Holy Spirit to help you, to be a companion to you, to be able to do what you need to do in life. And this companion looks like this. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you. And he and I will not leave you as orphans, he says. That, that, that word counselor, parakletos, it means, it means coming alongside one. Jesus said, I'm going, 
my, uh, my physical presence is leaving, but don't be dismayed. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, church, people of God. I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to help you do life. I'm going to help you serve. I'm going to help you do what you're called to do in life. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important to the life of the church. I'm going to tease that out, that out a little bit more later. Okay. I love this. A true companion is someone who dedicates his or her life for helping other individuals follow God's will for their life. I'll say that again. A companion, a true companion, is someone who dedicates his or her life to helping other individuals follow God's will for their lives. Isn't that like a bit like our wives or husbands? Ultimately, a good marriage should be about a companion who helps us fulfill God's purpose in our life. A companion will do that. And you know, I've seen the opposite in marriage. I've seen one of the partners going full on for God, loving God, wanting to do great stuff for God and actually was, was doing stuff for God. But when they got married to maybe the wrong person, they were pulled back from serving God, loving God, worshiping God. That's a good lesson. Well, that's a good, good note to take for young people aspiring to be married. Follow, be yoked and be committed with the one that's going to help you fulfill the great purposes of God. Be joined with them. Find out, are they going to help you? He or she is there to affirm, to encourage, to pray and support, often at great personal cost. I can think about people in the life of this church that God has sent as companions into this church who have been sent to pray, to support, to encourage us to pull off what we've done here in this church. Companions at great cost. Because it's not easy. This stuff doesn't happen easy. And of course, Paul spoke about Aquila and Priscilla as his fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their lives, Romans 16, 3 to 4. Fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their lives and called Epiroditus his fellow worker and fellow soldier, saying of him, He almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life, Philippians 2, 25 and 30. He almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life. Wow. I mean, I know we do some stuff here, but I hope no one's risking their life, Frank. The guys were here Saturday doing the... Luke, I hope you weren't risking your life out the back, putting that jib rock up and stuff like that, just a little bit, yeah. But this is the cost of the early disciples when they said, I'm going to help you, Paul, do what you're called to do. Each person plays a vital role in God's kingdom from the least noticed to the most prominent individual. And each role is just as important as all to the others. The key is not how noticed you are or how effective you are. It's how obedient you are to your Lord and Master. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you, John 15 verse 14. You are my friends 
if you do whatever I command you. Conversely, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Luke 6.46. It's about doing what God's called us to do, not doing all the other stuff. And yet God can even ask us to do just, just easy stuff, minute stuff, little things. Whatever it may be in the life of this church, it's, it's things that God would say, hey, can you see that needs to be done? Can you see that this? Yeah, I can see that, God. And you can see these, these, these things when, when you've been with God, of course, when you've been in the presence of God. You can see in the life of the kingdom or the life of the church, you can see where there's prayer needed. You can see where there's people that need to be helped. You can see when your friend needs to be helped, when you're in the presence of God. You can't see your people's problems or, or needs if you are not impassioned by God. That's what we call being heart of heart and not giving a toss. But when you've been in the presence of God and been praying, you can't help but feel when you draw close to someone, man, I feel you've got needs. I feel that, man. And this is what... This is the burden that Christians have. But his burden is light. His yoke is easy. We can handle it. Otherwise, people with the mercy gift, they get so beat up. They see little animals on the side of the road run over and they go, oh, God. We used to have a lady in this church and she'd pull uh, every morning coming to church. She'd be picking up a stray animal. We'd have a chicken here or something there, a dog here. I said, what's going on? Oh, I just saw this on the side of the road. And she'd be crying and... And she's upset and she's supposed to be doing something, serving in the houses. Oh, no, this poor animal. But you can, you can be sympathetic to people and compassionate with people if you've got the strength of God on the inside of you. Or you could just do it the other way. Don't give it to us. Our primary concern ought to be how well we are serving the master where we're placed, where God places you. Another statement, it is not what we do for God that will count in the end, but what we let God do through us and with us that will last. Another statement, we must believe that God has deliberately designed His people to be interdependent upon one another in His kingdom. I didn't say independent, I said interdependent, that we are interdependent to make this happen, that by God's design you are here not as a spectator, but a part of the body, a people joined together, praying for each other, supporting each other, encouraging each other, helping each other, empowering each other, blessing each other, prospering each other. We are here by design to be interdependent, not independent. Parts of the body, not amputated parts sitting around on ice. The work of outreach and building God's church will be the result of the combined efforts of many people working together. Another statement. In fact, each one of us plays a crucial role in partnership with each other in furthering the kingdom. And we talked about the Apostle Paul, that he had a massive task to be able to, I mean, a massive task from heaven, a a God's assignment to turn the known world upside down with the gospel And how could he have done it? He only could have done it with companions, people that got around him to help him, to serve him, to work hard, to give, to support him. 
That's how it happens. That's how church happens. That's how this church is here, by people, companions who have gotten around us that have served and diligently, faithfully committed their time, their talent, their treasure, and said, Pastor Phil, I can see the vision of what you're trying to do. I can see that you're trying to save souls and bless the youth and bless the families and bless the the community. I can see that. You know what? For God's sake, I'm going to help you. Not for your sake, for God's sake. I can see that you're the man. You're the man like the Apostle Paul who had a vision and we're going to join with. That's what Frank did. That's what Tim and Louise did. That's what Phil and Fleur do. And it comes by many ways. I read this blog that went like this. My sin nature is always ready to receive praise and adoration. But it rebels and it rebels against humility and servanthood. I'll read that again. My servant nature is always ready to receive praise and adoration. And it rebels against humility and servanthood. Jesus said, I think it's in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The apostles said in Philippians 2, 4, and we spoke about this last week, each of you should not look only, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Then Paul says straight up after in Philippians 2, 6, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. What about this? This is in the message version. Philippians 2, 1 to 4 says, If you have gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand you like that that's what church is and then of course i looked at this word called follow-up and i didn't know this but there are two strong words in this there's two strong connotations in the word follower so if we were to look at Matthew 4 and we'd see where Jesus called the, uh, the disciples, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, we would see this word follow, uh, follow being used. And I didn't know this until recently, but follow means this. When Jesus said, follow me, it wasn't out of a sense of duty and a sense of, oh, follow me on some, you know, harebrained scheme. It actually meant this growing and deepening relationship come follow me for a growing and deepening relationship are you into jesus on that note on that terms that when the jesus said do you follow me you've got to understand this that jesus when he called you to be saved he was saying i want to get to know you profoundly deeply wonderfully amazingly if you weren't into that well man that's gonna just you know, that's going to cause the whole deal to be so superficial. The other connotation was this, when he said, come follow me, was this, for a radical reformation, a radical reformation of your life. One, follow me for a deeper relationship with me. Two, for a radical reform- reformation or reformation 
because of my influence upon you. This was apparently something that people did with the local rabbi. Um, they would say, I see the local rabbi in my town, the synagogue in my town. And they would look at the rabbi and they say, you know what? I want what he's got. I want his understanding of his truth of the Torah. I want, I want to understand how he wants to please God, love God. I want, and so what they would do, they would go to the rabbi and they would attach themselves to the rabbi. Is this right? He knows the Old Testament. The what? Ah, that's what the, those followers were called? And what does that mean? Followers, disciples. So when those young men or women would go to the rabbi, not women, men, would go to the rabbi, they would say, Jesus changed that, that's right. Um, they would be saying, I, I want to be like you, I want to act like you, react like you. And this is what the world wants to see in us. If, the, if, we're, if we're followers of Jesus, we've got to be seen like Jesus. See, these disciples that followed the rabbi, they would look like the rabbi, they would react like, they would act, react like the rabbi, they would respond to life, they would have a character change, their conduct would change, their character would change after a while, and the relationship between the disciple and the, no, the, the Talmudim, would be like this, they would begin to change. And the relationship would be so close that these guys would actually kneel at the feet of the rabbi. Kneel. They would sit at the feet of the rabbi. Tell me more. Tell me more. And I'm not talking about that movie, John Travolta. Where, tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> so in the time of the disciples, someone who called you a follower of Christ would expect to see your life busy about relationship and reformation. Followers became imitators of the one they are following. You know a follower because he acts and reacts like the one who is leading his life. The word follow applied to Peter, James, John in Matthew 4, 19 to 21 indicates a person who so longed to know the right way to live that he initiated a relationship with the local rabbi, knowing the rabbi was the very epitome of God's truth about life as expressed in the Torah. Is someone getting this? If you did this, you would bring glory to him and gain to God's plans and purposes, basically knowing and growing towards God. The followers would attach themselves to the local rabbi, sit at his feet, serve him, watch him, watch him intently and see him by following him to go where their longings for life in God's ways could be satisfied. Like Christ, our desire is to know him and experience him. We were built for relationship with God. Psalm 42 verse 1, I'm getting there. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? <laughs> Psalm 63 verse 1, I think it is. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That was like Julie and I when we had our little break at our caravan. All of a sudden, we had time to get with God again. We were getting up in the morning and 
praying with each other. Fantastic. Couples, pray with each other in the morning, at least for some time, or you know, just five minutes, but we would pray for an hour together, two hours, and we would just prophesy over our family and over our church, and we would, man, we'd, you know, it's powerful. Praying, seeking God in a dry and thirsty, weary land where there's no water statement how do i transition from a dutiful distant one-sided relationship with christ to experience a deepening intimacy with him how do we do that how do i transition from a dutiful distant one-sided relationship with christ to experience a deepening intimacy with him i mentioned that um, one powerful uh, advantage we have is the holy spirit and i'll read that now john 14 verse 16 And it's a 24-7 personal experience of the Holy Ghost helping you down this road of serving God, loving God, knowing God, and worshipping God. John 14, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He will give you another companion. So, 17, The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept Him, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. 7 16 verse 7 but i tell you the truth it is for your good that i am going away unless i go away the counselor the comforter the companion will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you john 16 verse 13 but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth he will not speak on his own he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come 14 he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you all that belongs to the father is mine that is why i said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you this is one key facet of your life you've got to understand guys it's the Holy Spirit. It's that companion. You've got to understand, the Holy Spirit is that companion alongside you, helping you, encouraging you, counseling you, leading you, speaking truth to you. You need the Holy Spirit to serve God, know God. The question again, how do I transition from a dutiful, distant, one-sided relationship with, with Christ to experience a deepening intimacy with God? I'm talking about change and um, change definitely happens like this six uh, disciplines you could try to cultivate the ground of your heart and they would go like this one open the door of your heart revelations 320 here i am i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come and eat with him and he with me what does that mean that's basically jesus standing at the door of your heart knocking on the door of your heart basically in those days in the bible times if you were to have a meal with someone that meant intimacy that means getting down to the nitty-gritty of who you were who i was and really beginning to you know relate with each other and 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 talk the talk and look into each other's eyes you know you know what that means when you look someone in the eye you know and um we we get we get used to not looking at each other in the eye but you know when the when the sales guy does it, you know, I've been talking to some real estate agents and obviously they've been trained to do that, to look the person in the eye. It's a little bit dis- disconcerting, but we're actually supposed to do that when we talk with each other. We're supposed to look each other in the eye to, to, to emote this sense of, I guess, genuineness and, and I'm open, look at me, uh, I'm speaking the truth type of thing. Do you know what I'm saying? But a lot of us, we just, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
but Jesus said, hey, I want to come into your heart. I want to come into your life. I want to come into your spiritual house. I want to dine with you. I want to have a meal with you. I want to get personal with you. I don't care about the disguise. I don't care about the pretense of your life. I want to really get to know you. And God, Jesus, wants to do that for each and every one of us. Is that right? He wants to get real with you. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And don't be surprised when God comes into your spiritual house that he starts to renovate too. People like their house, don't they? And they don't want it renovated sometimes. But God, sometimes, Jesus comes in. He says, you know what? We could put a room out here, man. We could give you an ensuite there. You know what, you know what I'm talking about? That kitchen needs renovated. Hey, come on. I, wasn't, I didn't get saved to have my house renovated. But some of us are living in a shack. And God wants to create a palace that he can live in and express himself through. Very hard for God to express his glory through you when you're a shack. But when you're a palace, big rose garden out the front, you know, big refreshing pool out the back, big kitchen, lots of hospitality, big living room where you can, you know, be hospitable. That's what God wants to do. No, I don't want, I don't want to be hospital. I don't want to do that, God. I don't want to refresh people. I don't want people swimming in my pool. No, just me and my little house, thank you. No, we're going to push that wall out there. We're going to take that out. Yeah, hang on, God. Well, I'm not into that. Two, pursue him. Relationship built on communication. I'm nearly done. And closeness. We cannot neglect regular conversations through prayer and exposure to his word. Lord inhabits the praise of his people. Three, I'm cutting these short now. Put him in his place. I mean, get him at the center of your life. Don't let anything get in the way of that. No self, no money, no friends, nothing. Get him center of your life. When he's center of your place, of center of your universe, that's where it's going to really happen for you. Four, be where he is. I love this. We don't relate to Christ on our terms. We don't re- relate to Christ in our misery. We've got to come to Him by faith. Some people have a pity party and, well, God, you're just going to have to meet me. Yeah, well, that's great. But God wants you to meet Him in fellowship, proper fellowship, where He is in faith. In faith, in fellowship, in acts of love, justice, mercy, humility, forgiveness, and righteousness. We experience His joy and power as we faithfully serve Him because we love Him. Serving others with acts of generosity and compassion puts us in close proximity to Him. People that serve Him in the life of the church are close to Him. People that, you know, even Luke doing the jip rocking, man, you're close to God when you're doing that, buddy, because you're building God's house. People that are standing at the door, serving coffee in the cafe, cleaning the toilets, mowing the lawns, you are right there in close proximity of God. Is that right? I'm going to prove that, how that is. Precious God. Five, meet him in the crisis, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo. Meet him in the trials of your life, the crisis of your life. Six, see him in the people. Although he's not visible, Christ manifests himself through his people as they interact in the reality of the character, actions, and attitudes of his presence. This is what I'm talking about now, people. There's a story. A widow told me that when someone comforted her with a hug, it was like the arms of God around my life, she says. 
while Christ is invisible, his body, the church, is visible and as such manifests the reality of his presence. A hand that gives to us is his hand. A word that is encouraging, comforting, or confronting is his voice to us. An act of love, companionship, or compassion is his touch on our lives. His little girl, Sally, lay awake in her room, afraid of what might be lurking in the dark. Her father came into the room several times to tell her that the Lord was with her and that she had nothing to fear. Finally, in desperation, he replied to her dad's theology, I know, but I want something that has skin on it. What a change we would see in the fellowship of believers if we would all commit ourselves to being his hands, his feet, heart and voice to those around us. PowerPoint, six principles of intimacy. Six principles of intimacy emerge from this message. One, Christ wants to come into our lives through the door of our hearts. Followers take the initiative to welcome him within. Two, Christ stands ready to be found and known in prayer, his word, his active work in our lives and the world around us. Followers find him in these privileged practices. You can stand, God bless you. Three, Christ's presence is experienced when he is at the strategic center of all we are and do. Followers put him there. Christ relates to us in the sphere of who he is and where he is, what he is and what he wants to do. Followers meet him in these unusual places. Christ often leads us into and through crisis situations so that we become convinced of his reality and presence in our lives. Followers view crisis as opportunities to experience him more fully. Lastly, Christ meets us, speaks to us and touches us through the physical, visible reality of his body, the church and followers. Followers look for him there. I talked about... Um, when you're in the presence, when you intuitively know what God's up to, that you seemingly see that and you join with it and you help it along. Here's a scripture for that. John 5, 17. I don't think the guys have got this, but Jesus said to them, my father is always at, at work, at his work to this very day. And I too am working. Jesus is always, you know what? God's always working in your friends and ours. He's always doing something. He's always working towards blessing that folk and that stranger. John 5, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Lord, help us see what you want us to do. Right now, let's just close our eyes. Father in heaven. Lord, we want to see what you're doing in our friends and family. Father in heaven, I pray that we would see what you want to do in the life of this church. Lord, if we're followers, you called us to, to know you intimately, to be transformed, to be servants, to serve, to serve God, to serve others. Lord, help me be a companion to others. Holy Spirit, come alongside me as a companion. Strengthen me. Anoint me. Encourage me. Empower me. Right now, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, come alongside me. Jesus, you said you would not leave me as an orphan. You would not leave me, Lord, by myself, independent. But you would come alongside me, Lord. 
energize me, empower me, encourage me, anoint me, Lord God, to be of service to you in your church, to others, when I go out from this place, when I come across other people, Lord, let me see their needs, let me see their heart, let me see them, Lord God, let me reach out to them with your love, with your compassion, let me be your eyes, your hands, your feet, let me be your love expressed through me, my body. Father in heaven, I pray that, Lord God, I would become a vessel that serves you, that serves you to bring your kingdom to pass in the days in which I live, through my local church, through my family. Lord, I would serve my wife. I would serve my husband. I would serve my children. I would serve my boss. I would serve the people around me diligently, willingly, sacrificially. I would serve it even at great cost. I would serve. And as I do, Lord, you flow through me. You flow through me, Lord God. Dear God in heaven, right now I pray that you would help me serve like I've never been able to serve before. Empower me, anoint me, bring out this servant heart in my body, in my heart. Lord, I give you the desires of my heart. I give you my will, all my desires. I give you all my heart to you. At the center of my life is my heart, my heart that determines to serve you all the days of my life and the people of God say, Oh God, oh God, Spirit of God, Holy Father, Father in heaven, right now, I pray your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come now. What if you can just lift your hands up like this? Father in heaven, right now, I pray, fill me, anoint me, bless me, revive me to serve to save souls, to bring the kingdom to pass. Holy Ghost, right now, empower every believer in this house, every follower in this house. Empower them, Lord. Turn them inside and out, Lord. Bring out all the goodness. Let Christ flow through you. In Jesus' name I pray. Holy Ghost, I pray. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, right now, right now. You're in the house and you're not sure of your salvation. If you're in the house and you're not sure if you're to die tonight, you're not sure if you're bound for heaven. If you're not sure that the smile of heaven is on your on your life, if you're not sure of your salvation, I would love to pray for you. I would right now love to pray for you. A prayer right where you're standing will save your soul and give you an absolute confidence that you are bound for heaven, that Christ is smiling on you on your life. You are blessed. If that's you right now, wherever you're standing, wherever you are from front to back to this side to this side, on the count of three, I'd love you to just lift your hand and just say, Jesus, count me in. I want to be a part of the body of Christ. I want to be part of the family of God. I want to help serve you. I want to help bless the church. I want to help bless you. I want to see souls saved. I want to, my life included in the great plans and purposes of God. If that's you, on the count of three, one, two, three, if that's you, just lift your hand up if you're not sure of your salvation, but this morning you want to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be Lord of my life forevermore. If that's you, a simple short prayer in this house, in this place, in this place of his presence will save your soul. If that's you, just be bold, be brave, lift your hand by faith right now, right now. If that's you, be bold, be brave on this long weekend. 
on this long weekend right now. Jesus, from front to back, if you're not sure of your salvation, let's say this prayer all together. Father God, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe he walked the earth, performed miracles, died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, wash me clean, set me free, come to live in my heart. I turn my back on selfishness and I look to you to serve you, to love you and others for the days of my life. I'm saved, I'm born again, bound for heaven. Empower me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me with your Holy Spirit right now in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.